The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this is the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. And uh, I began this program on a 13-week trial over three years ago, and uh, I'm very proud of the fact that we're still going bigger, better, and stronger than ever. I'm sorry if I feel a bit weary. I was in um, Atlanta with a client last night, and I flew back to Los Angeles this morning, so I had to get up at like 1 o'clock LA time to get here at 9 o'clock LA time, and... uh, that's tiring. Now, this is your no-bullshit business radio show. We don't sit here and talk about why Rank Xerox went down $0.05 cents or why Mobileye went up $3. We're not interested in any of that. We're only interested in talking to you about the stuff that can help you grow your business. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of people who contact me and say, I went into the archives the other day and, you know, there's so much stuff in there and there's about 180 interviews with business people who have been successful and the amount of stuff you can learn just by going to the archives is extraordinary. So when you're sitting around and uh, you've got nothing to do, go into the archives and have a listen to a show or have a listen to an interview with a, somebody like a Tim Draper or, or, you know, somebody that's really achieved something. Um, it's a lot better than sitting in front of the TV and, and watching how the bloody um, ISIS got their heads blown off. I mean, who gives a crap about any of that? Learn something. Help your life. Don't worry about helping the ratings of the television stations. Now, um, I think the best news this week is that scientists are now able to use your heart as a security authenticator. You know, we just seem to have serious security breaches one after another. Remember Target, 100 million Target customers and now um, 50 million cards hacked from Home Depot and the iCloud celebrity nude photos hack. God, it's easy to feel digitally very vulnerable I mean that in the nicest possible way. But current best options are making up some bloody ridiculous, totally weird um, password with uppercase and lowercase and symbols and whatever else you can throw in. You know, you can also use two-step verification, but they've all got their shortcomings. And um, 
you know, hackers are getting smarter and smarter. Well, a crop of enterprising scientists has come up with what I reckon is the best idea yet. It's a bit odd, but it's great. You, they use the rhythm of your heart as the password. So nobody else has got your heart rhythm that's as individual as your fingerprints. So a team of Toronto scientists have developed a wristband that uses your own heart rhythm as measured by electrocardiograms. You know, they're those things where you go into the doctors and they stick the stickers on you and this machine measures whether you're working or not. (laughs) And they use the electrocardiograms as an authenticator for everything from accessing email to unlocking cell phones and all sorts of other gadgets. They uh, spoke at TedMed in Washington, San Francisco, and a biometric security engineer told engine, uh, told attendees that because our hearts are so unique from their size to their orientation um, and how they pump our blood, they are the perfect security password. Now, an ECG authenticating wristband called NYMI, N-Y-M-I, is available for free order on the company's website for 79 bucks. That's NYMI, N-Y-M-I. Now, the idea behind NYMI is to make authentication easy and for it to melt into the background, and that's what sets it apart from, say, Apple's Touch ID fingerprint authenticator, um, which requires you to prove yourself with every transaction instead of being constantly read. And NIMI is now working on partnerships with uh, password platforms and payment systems and travel companies. And it's likely that this kind of ECG reading may soon be seamlessly adopted. What a bloody great idea. Biometrics are still not perfect, but the possibilities, you think about it, the possibilities are nearly endless. The um, future in security has got to lie in the parts of our bodies that you can't steal. Well, I suppose you can steal anything if you really want to, but if you steal the heart, it stops beating, so you haven't got the ECG, have you? Um, They could be lip prints or tongue prints or acoustic emissions that our ears make. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things we could do. Um, So don't be surprised if scientists manage to embed tiny little microphones into ears so that your music player only unlocks when the pods are in your ear. How cool is that? But if you look at the way that we prove our identities, it's bloody archaic, isn't it? You think about it. Technology has advanced so much, and if we need to prove who we are, it's usually a password or a PIN or a photograph on a driver's license that looks absolutely Nothing like you on a good day. I mean, I'd, you'd be hard-pressed. Look at my driver's license. You'd be hard-pressed to work out who the hell it is. And a lot of what we're focusing on for the future is not even directly security-related. It's about hyper-personalization. What a different experience it would be if devices or smart things, you know, that are in your house or, you know, with the Internet of Things, knew who you were instantly and knew your preferences. In a smart home, you shouldn't have to put your password in a thing on the wall. It should just know it's you. 
You walk in the door, biometrically goes, that's Bob, okay, we'll let him open the curtains and turn, talk to the fridge. I think that's very cool. So we need to be willing to think right outside the box to keep our information safe. Everything that everybody's tried so far has not worked. Um, passwords are broken because hackers have got so sophisticated, but also most of us are lazy. You know, we don't change our passwords. Or we've got something really simple. I have a cat. My password is cat1. And then we wonder how they got hacked. So one day, it's not going to be silly to think that um, your heart rhythms or your ears or whatever it is actually set your password. Now, I don't know about you, but Mark Cuban comes across to me. If you watch Shark Tank, I think Shark Tank's the most unbelievably ridiculous bloody show I've ever seen. It's bears no resemblance whatsoever to pitching to real investors. I know they're real investors, but it's nothing like the process somebody goes through to pitch to investors. And if you watch that and you think that's the way you're going to get investors, well, think again. You ain't. Um, but Mark Cuban on Shark Tank comes across as such a pompous, self-opinionated jerk that I, I just automatically turn off every time he says something. And for anybody who may not know, uh, Cuban is the owner of the Dallas Mavericks. It is a basketball team and not a really good one. And he's chairman of AXS TV, of course. <clears throat> but no matter what you think of Mark Cuban, he's apparently very good at business. Now, these are the six things that Mark Cuban says you need to know to be great in business. And if you know these six things, you'll be a whiz. You know, there's no shortcuts in business. In order to be successful in business, there are some things you just have to know. Now, um, these are not all of them by a long shot, but Mark's just listed off six. And in his humble, did somebody say humble? <laughs> Jesus. Opinion, there's six of the most important. Firstly, you've got to know how to sell. Now, I totally agree with that. And everything's a sell. You go into a bar, try to pick up a girl, it's a sell. You go and try to get f funding, it's a sell. Um, you know, no matter what you do, you're always trying to sell you or something to somebody. So you've got to be good at it. So that means, you know, you've got to convey why your product or service, which could be you, um, if you're looking for a job or trying to raise money or a million other things, how that's going to make things better for the person that you're pitching to. And selling in the old days used to be about getting your foot in the door and talking as fast as you can until the other person buckled. But that doesn't work anymore. Um, so selling's not about being convincing these days. It's about helping. You know, try to help people and you'll win. <laughs> Secondly, Mark says, and again, he's right. Can't believe I'm agreeing with him. Um, you have to put yourself in the shoes of the customer. So if you know how to put the person you're dealing with in a position to succeed, i.e. help them, you can be successful. And in order to do this, you've got to be able to quickly understand the needs and demands of that person 
and of the company they work with. You've got to go in there and try to solve their problems if you want to, to sell them something. They're not going to buy off you unless what you're selling is going to help them. You know, always forget, always remember what's in it for me. Unless you give something to somebody and they know that something in it for them, they ain't going to buy it. And uh, every person in every industry is different. So you've got to you've got to think what makes them work, what makes them tick, what what it, what is it that's going to help them? It's a um, a never ending process of learning about what customers and companies need. How do these people work? Who makes the decisions? How what's going to influence their process? Um, how can I help them? solve that issue that they've got. Mark Cuban's third key to being successful is another one I agree with. Learn as much as you can about technology. You know, the great thing about technology is that it changes every day. And as Mark points out, the incredible thing is somebody spends five years developing a product and it's a sensational product and they know everything about it. Well, the day it's released... You know as much about it as they do, and so does everyone else. So you've got the easy part. And um, you've just got to keep learning, keeping up with all the new things. You can save yourself extraordinary amounts of time, whether you're in manufacturing or in an office or doesn't matter what you're doing. Even sport, the technology that's involved is amazing. So if you're one of the few people that, know and understand new technologies. You're in a unique position to put yourself in the shoes of your customer and then you can work out how that can be of benefit to them. We're in a time of dramatic change, disruptive change, and uh, it's technology that enables change and where there's change, there's a huge opportunity. So you've just got to work out what that opportunity is. Now, Mark Cuban's fourth recommendation is that you always ask how you would design a solution if there wasn't one currently. So when we look at a, an issue, we always think of the same crap that we've, that we've been thinking about for the last 40 years. The key is to look at an issue, look at a problem, look at a challenge, and think about it totally differently than how it's been done in the past. You know, 99.99% of all the things we do Every day, and all the thoughts we have every day are exactly the same as the thoughts we had yesterday and the day before and the day before that. You know, it's very difficult to reimagine how things should be done. But successful people do. Successful people disrupt the status quo. And it's not always about starting from where you think you should start. I remember a fantastic... um, interview with um, Elon Musk when he was talking about SpaceX and he said when we started SpaceX nobody knew how to send a thing into space let alone how to to bring it back so we started from scratch now the problem with NASA you know Musk can send up a rocket and land it on the same spot NASA sends it up and some something jumps out or the the capsule ejects over the ocean somewhere it's a mad scramble to try and find the thing before the Russians do I mean how prehistoric is that Cuban's fifth recommendation is to ask yourself, is this the path of least resistance to something better? And again, I agree. 
Now, lots of people come up with ways of doing things that they think are amazing. What they fail to ask is whether it will make anyone else's life easier, better or simpler. The simple test of any imagineering of a process is simple. Is this the path of resistance to a better place for the user? Yes or no? The answer is yes, go for it. If it's no, dump it. And Mark Cuban's sixth key to being successful, and to me this sounds pretty incongruous coming from Mark Cuban, is to be nice to people. Who'd have figured? People hate dealing with people who are jerks, says Mark. It's always easier to be nice than to be a jerk. Don't be a jerk. Um, I must admit I don't know Mark Cuban. I've never met him. He's probably an absolutely delightful guy. I just have trouble with his manner on television. So all that, all that makes sense. Now, we love to talk about successful entrepreneurs on this show, and I love this story this week about the 19-year-old developer who's so successful that he turned down Apple. So last week, John Meyer dropped out of a prestigious university computer science program to work full-time on his tech startup, Fresco News. Now, his parents weren't really happy. He was attending NYU where his mum was a professor, but they eventually came round to support him because I had to admit he's already an extremely successful independent computer programmer. He's been writing apps since his freshman year in high school. (laughs) Don't you love kids like this? After teaching himself programming. He's making so much money writing iPhone apps that during his first year of college, he could afford to live alone, pay all his NYU tuition, and at the same time, bootstrap his company, Fresco News. So Fresco News, it's sort of uh, an intersection between Instagram and Twitter and Flipboard, and it turns photos from ordinary people on the scene of big news events into news stories. It's a great idea. He's written about 40 apps, bearing in mind he's 19. Um, This includes the popular iPhone for flashlight, the iPhone flashlight, and it went nuts, downloaded about 2 million times. He's just had another huge hit called Perfect Shot, released about a year ago for iOS 7. It was downloaded 60,000 times in the first four days, and he's now at over 1 million It uses a smile and the eye detection features in the iPhone camera for taking the perfect group photo. You just hold the phone up and wait. The app determines when everybody is smiling, nobody's blinking when it's a perfect photo and takes itself. (laughs) So smart, this kid is, at 19, that um, Apple paid him attention. The um, company asked him to join them but he turned them down. So John Meyer says, I am at heart an entrepreneur. I wouldn't be happy working for anyone else, not even Apple. How cool is that? I love these kids. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business. Now, we're here to assist entrepreneurs to become successful. So if you've got a question about any aspect of business, please don't hesitate to email me at bobbypritchard.com and we'll answer it on air or I'll email you directly if it's not something that we can handle on air. Now, make sure that you subscribe to my monthly newsletter. It's sent out to about 16,000 business executives in over 60 countries every month. 
we get rave reviews, and better still, every month 16,000 go out and we get one or two maybe unsubscribes. That's fantastic. So you're listening to Voice America Business, and I'll be back in a moment with Neil Gaiden. First of all, he's a great guy, but he's also the president and CEO of Smart Technologies. He's a um, he's one of those really clever, innovative, results-oriented guys, and he's focused on um, delivering exceptional growth in highly competitive markets and turnaround situations. Now, turnaround is hard, but he has had a phenomenal career, and he's a really interesting guy. I think you'll enjoy it. This is Bob Pritchard, and I'll be back in just a couple of minutes with Neil. Do you want the world to know you're a force to be reckoned with? If so, you must join the American Institute of Sales, Marketing, and Management, America's foremost accreditation institute. You'll be amazed at how AISMM can open doors that you can't. Increase your prestige and influence. Add the letters AISMM after your name. Apply now. Go to AISMM.org. Again, that's AISMM.org. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's Bob at BobPritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this is the part of the show where we talk to extraordinary people, entrepreneurs, people that have enjoyed great success and that are making a difference. You know, there's some phenomenally talented people in this world, and I, I love to chat to them because they've got so much that they can teach me and us in general and uh, you know starting a business running a business is bloody tough it's hard to be successful and uh, my aim with these interviews is to find out what are the characteristics that these people have that makes them tick what makes them great what is it that's made their business successful how did they get there what can we learn from them that will help us now today's guest Neil Gaiden became the president and CEO of Smart Technologies only about two years ago. He's probably, after two years, most of these guys seem to be ready to retire. He's um, an innovative, innovative, God, I'm a speaker for a living, can you believe it? Results-oriented leader, focused on delivering exceptional growth in highly competitive markets and turnaround situations. As we know, Delivering growth and turning around companies, it's hard, and it requires vision, energy, and execution. I've seen guys who can walk into a company and instantly see what's wrong with it and how they can turn it around, and that's a real skill. Neil recently held a position of CEO for Pace, the world's largest provider of digital television technologies to the pay TV industry, and led the company to a major turnaround with a tenfold increase in revenues, to over $2 billion in 2010. Prior to Pace, he's had a a history of um, senior roles in high-end technology companies and uh, has been extraordinarily successful at it. He's a graduate of Harvard Business School in the Advanced Management Program. His personal awards include 2009 Institute of Directors Director of the Year, 2009 Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year, 
He must have been the guy that beat me for that. And 2008 Techmark Personality of the Year. And that's an award that recognises technology, business and innovation. Hi, Neil. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Thanks, Bob. So you're a clever bastard, right? You've done all this fantastic stuff. No, I just surround myself by very clever people. Very good answer. Very good answer. Okay, so smart cap, it's a revolutionary replacement for dry erase boards that um, that was launched at Infocom 2014 in Las Vegas. Um, it is described as an easy to as easy to use as a dry erase board, where users can now capture, save, and share ideas as if by magic. So, how did this um, concept for SmartCap come about? The, um, the company that uh, I walked into, uh, Smart Technologies, is well known around the world for yep. the, inventing the smart board. Mm-hmm. And the smart board, we're in uh, nearly 3 million classrooms around the world, and it's an electronic board yep. with electronic ink. And it requires a computer, and it has some very sophisticated software in it, which teachers really like for delivering lessons. Yes. But it does require some degree of training, and it does require some degree of knowledge. And, and on the enterprise side, we also make smart boards, where, again, we have some pretty sophisticated software that the likes of... Um, you know, architects, engineering, construction, right. finance firms love because um, it's true two-way. They can share rich data. They can do some really powerful things with it. Yes. But, uh, but I'm walking into Smart just for me as a novice in that technology. I, I realize there's some hurdles that you have to go through before you could really tap the, 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 the benefits of, of the products that we make. and. Right. You know, people love what those do. But for them, there's also millions of people who don't do that, and they would like something they could just walk up to and use, um, but where they could collaborate, where others could see what they're writing, but where it would be much lower cost and much simpler to use. So, um, when, so this was the idea in my head that we needed to come up with something that was simple as a dry erase board that didn't require any training, right. but that anybody could come up and use and then be able to see it. Because, I mean, let's face it, the dry erase board was invented in the mid-50s, hasn't changed, and the actual flip chart was invented in the late 1890s. And so what I've had in all of my organizations I've been a part of is that people either take a photograph of what they write on a dry erase board yeah. and then send it to people and it's often blurry and not always easy to see and, and it's also it. not yeah. in the you can't read it and it's not in the digital domain either so you can't manipulate or do anything with it very yes. easily right. and then uh, or and or you scribble down the notes and then you try and type up the email um, I was talking to one very big finance firm and they do, they have meetings regularly in each of their cubicles where they use a dry erase board and they'll either take a photograph of it or scribble the notes down they then hand it to an EA they'll have to wait a week for the notes to get typed up and then it gets circulated around to everybody so I was thinking. I do that. I do that. Are you you telling me that's inefficient? (laughs) 
It's very inefficient, <laughs> exactly. And we shouldn't have to have that now. And imagine, like now, we're on a conference call yes. and, and speaking to you via this phone, and if I started to write on the dry erase board, you can't see what I'm going to do without me telling you what I'm writing and or taking a photograph at different intervals for you to see. It's, it's yep. just a very, very inefficient way of working in today's world. Right. So um, we sat, so we posed the question, and I didn't know the answer to it, although I thought that what we would do, we would take one of our, um, they look like a TV panel, but they have touch technology and other yep. cool things in them, and I thought we would just dramatically cost-produce one of those, and we would um, make it very simple, the software, and that would be a good way to go. So we, that was in my head going into this meeting, and we gave three teams... Um, the question, how could we do something as simple as walking up to a dry erase board, but that everybody could see what you're writing and be able to share? And so two of the teams were along the lines I was thinking, but in both cases it ended up, as we looked at the numbers, quite expensive, um, still quite complicated, still some degree of training needed, probably have to integrate with the IT department, which again is a whole difficult bunch of decision making sure. and one of our guys he's a, our industrial designer um, he's a fantastic designer um, very interested in design of electronics over the last 50 hundred years and as well as furniture and all sorts um, a brilliant man and so he said look I've got a very different way of thinking about it and he said I think that if you picked up a normal pen you wrote on a piece of glass if we could get some way to use some of our existing technologies um, we could use that to share. And I just started beaming when I saw this. And I turned to our CTO, um, and he was also beaming because he'd actually hit an amazing idea. And so then started the hard work of trying to figure out how do we make it so you don't have to have IT involved? How could we leverage the power of the phone or the tablet so we're not having to build all that processing power into the product itself? How can we make that so, so simple? And that was one of the things that was one of the challenges because engineers are super clever people sure. and they do the most incredible things, but they inherently can make things complicated. <laughs> yeah, and, right. and, and, and actually doing simple is really hard and trying to get the engineers to see that to, to do that really well so anybody could use something that was brilliant to use is there's a huge merit in that and they shouldn't think that they're being dumbed down in their skills right so um we said there is two two things this product must do one your phone always will connect because without connecting it we can't get out what you, you write on the board it. for yeah. the outside Correct. Secondly, when you're right on the board, it always, always, always appears on whatever screen you're connecting it to. And so um, the team worked on this, and now you pick up a dry erase board, pen, sorry, you walk up to cap, you write on it, and it is by magic it starts appearing on not only the screen you've connected, but anybody you've invited into your session, wherever they are in the world, um, it will happen. And in fact, we did it today in the company. Uh, we had 450 people dialed in from all around the world. And as I wrote on the cap board, everybody could see simultaneously what and I was it would, writing. It would come out on their, whether it would be their, their phone or their tablet or their phablet or the, whatever it is. Whatever so it would, PC, it, yep. So correct. Um, yeah. if you were having um, a, a conference call, um, they wouldn't need to have the same piece of equipment in their office. Now, if no. at the other end, um, if they've got, they can manipulate what you've sent them at the other end? 
Yeah, because they can save it as a, in their PDF. They can save it as a document. They can move. They can. We also have um, a, a premium feature where you can turn your handwriting into text, um, and then you can just import that into a Word document or whatever, so you're ready to go. Um, and yet, once they've got it in the digital format, they can uh, they can make any changes, ideas, and send it back. Um, but to keep the cost low and the simplicity where it is, it's not a two-way device. And we make smart boards, which are two-way devices, and they can do that, but they are inherently more expensive. Yeah. But this is for the dry erase board, for the millions of people who love simple. And I think what we've done here is we have joined together the analog world and the digital world seamlessly. Everybody loves their handwriting on the whole and a pen, and everybody can pick up a pen and use it. Everybody loves their mobile phone or, or their device. And the fact we've just connected these two super easy to use devices together, um, the reaction we're getting to capture is incredible right it is that is that how different is it than say a tablet where you can write on a tablet um and presumably send that image do you know what i'm talking about yeah no so it's um i mean a tablet is another personal device it's yeah. not a yeah. um you know for example there's a 42 inch cap and there'll be a much larger larger one around 80 inch um oh, wow. your tablet isn't for that right so right. The, the, there's there's a range of, of caps you know coming and so the first one we decided to make it 42 inch about the size of a flip chart it's ideal for yep. um either your cubicle or small meeting rooms of eight ten people um and then the larger one will come and um, that will be around the springtime. And the thing about large cap is that um, there's loads of uses for this, you know, brainstorming sessions and where, you know, people in MIT or whatever are doing huge, you know, calculations and all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, but, but also professors in university, you imagine now you're sitting in a university room, there's, you know, 60 other students in an auditorium, the professor's writing his notes on his board that you can hardly see. Yeah. Imagine this, you're now actually have his notes on your device at and, the end of the class and could be typed and and translated into text we can we can convert that to text Converted in the premium text. service yeah yeah exactly so um the, and imagine, imagine a restaurant you can also have a persistent url so if i url into the restaurant they've got the latest uh, or their their new dishes of the day right. they can write it up on cap and i can just see it and they could and they can wipe it off just about when i'm about to order it right exactly because <laughs> they just run out exactly <laughs> so what does the CAP stand for? It's K-A-P-P -P for anybody interested in the spelling. What does that stand for? Um, it was... Um, so we were looking at Capture Board and somebody else oh, had already Capture registered Board, it. Okay. And, and any of the other entrepreneurs out there will know when trying to come up with a name, the amount of people who have registered names to products which have either never launched, never happened, or whatever is a pain. So um, we abbreviated it down to CAP and we just thought, that, well, that looks like a bit of headgear. So we thought that doesn't work. Yeah. Um, so K, K is a great letter and we thought, well, add a P for, for the heck of it. And um, we thought it looked cool. Yeah. And that's how we named That's how it came. Okay. So how does it work? How does smart cap work? Yeah. Um, you you um, hang it on a wall as you would any other dry erase board, yeah. uh, just a few screws and a bracket, which you get with the product. Right. You plug it in and within a few seconds, it's ready. 
You then, uh, if you have an iOS device, yep. and that's going to change obviously now with the new 6 with, um, uh, with more of the things that the Android phones can do, but today's uh, uh, iOS devices, you um, download the SmartCap app from the uh, uh, normal from the store, as you would right. normally, yeah. and it's free. Right. And you will automatically get a QR code reader in that uh, app. Right. And then you walk up to the screen, and there's a little QR code in the corner, yeah. and you just click on that, and now that connects your device to that cap. So now you own the cap. Right. Now, if you've got an Android device, we've got NFC built into it, so you tap your phone sure. um, against the device, and now your Android device is connected. Um, sorry, same thing. You download an app from the uh, Play Store for, from Android. So the um, people at the so other we, end, do you need to dial them in, or do they... How do they? How, how do the people at the other end get in? Yeah. So now I decide who I want to share my session with. Yes. So um, what happens is from that app store, it generates an automated email with a URL address. And now if I've got seven people I normally invite on a you know a, a, on, a, on a, 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 an email exchange I've already got set up, or I'm I'm going to invite individual people. I just go to my contacts list as I would normally. I'd pull up the names that I'd want into the email bar. Um, there's the URL address there. I send it to them. As soon as they click on the URL address, it takes them straight to CAP. There's no passwords. There's no barriers. You're straight into the session. That's great. I love it. I can see, particularly in things like universities, I think it's an it's an amazing step forward. I mean, it just makes people's lives so much easier. And I'm always <clears throat> taking photographs of um, somebody's deck or you're, you're at some sort of a presentation. I'm always taking photographs, and then when I on the phone, and of course when I get when I get home and I look at it. Um, I try to blow it up and it gets blurry and it's really difficult to read and yeah, pain in the ass. Yeah, exactly. So with smart cap, you know, once you've got this information on your screen, you can pinch, tap, touch, do whatever you want to expand right. it out and it's all perfect. The, the other thing as well with smart cap is that, um, so I've shared it with everybody. Now as I'm writing, it's appearing in real time. Say you join the call halfway through right. and you wanted to catch up on the thought process. There's a little camera icon on SmartCap that you can press at different intervals so that people can, when they, when they join the session, all the thumbnails or all the, uh, or if you've had to erase the ink because you filled the screen up and then you moved to another thought, those thumbnails are all there for you. Brilliant. So that you that can catch up on yeah. where you were. That's which fantastic. Is fantastic. That was going to be my next you, question. Right, so you, yeah, you, you can get that at any time on the thumbnails and or you can thumbnail it yourself on the app. The other thing that you can do that's really clever about the product is say you've forgotten your phone, you've just solved the meaning of life on right. your smart cap yeah. that you must save before somebody erases it, you simply plug in a USB stick, you, click, you just touch the front of the panel where it has the USB thing, and it will put, convert it to PDF and put it on the USB, so you can take that away with you, so you've got that in case you forgot your phone. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. That, that's, that's really quite disruptive. Um, so what, what are the key attributes when you're... We're in a, in a time of enormous change and, you know, we know what Apple did to music and Uber's done to the taxi industry and on and on it goes. Um, what are the keys to effective 
collaboration, particularly when you are trying to be disruptive, when you're looking at an industry and you say, this industry has been done the same way for 100 years. When you're looking at how do we change this and then how do you bring in the right people to help you um, be disruptive and look for a simpler, more technological way to go about it? What are the steps? Yeah, I, that's a huge... I mean, we'd probably be an hour and a half on this um, just going through it. But just so the, the, the big headlines is... Um, when I made the comment to you right at the beginning, I surround myself by clever people. It, it wasn't a flippant answer. It was... It was genuine, and it's um, the culture of a company is everything. How you do things around here is everything in breeding a culture of innovation and asking the right questions and those things. So for, for Smart, um, uh, you know, building this, um, the culture that asks those questions, the simple questions, and looks at things differently is everything. And so having a strategy as to what you're, where you're trying to go as a business. Secondly, your structure as to how you execute against that. And we were talking a bit earlier before we started this interview, just how important, there's tons of great ideas, but how is it some of them never seem to get to market or get traction? And it's normally around execution and the quality of the product and the service and the support and the backup. It's not just the case of having a great idea. And so um, having a company that not only understands that having a good idea is a good thing, then how do you turn it into a real product that people can afford? Like Cap is going to just sell at 899 bucks. Right? So how do you hit a price point like that? Uh, how do you get the right patents in place so you can protect the in- in- invention that you've got? And then how are you going to get it to market so um, the good folk on this uh, broadcast can go and buy one and right. enjoy the product? So um, innovation happens and collaboration happens at all levels in a company and breeding that environment amongst all your people to buy into the vision, to buy into and know that the structure, they can see how they fit into that vision and what they need to deliver because it's not all about inventive thinking. Um, It's about execution and delivery and, and yes, there's tons of innovation within all of that process but at the end of the day, you've got to produce something. Um, And so, you know, when I look at collaboration, it is the next big wave of change that's needed in industry. We've gone through, you know, how to put together really good strategies. That's taught well in Harvard to every other business school in the world. That's done and dusted, really. How How to, you know, think about your structures. Again, there's great processes for how to do that. Building a great culture. That's still a work in progress for a lot of companies, including Smart. We've made huge steps forward, but we've still got a way to go to really get our culture embedded down. And then the tricky one, joining all those three things together with a spirit of collaboration where there's no silos. And that comes from top down. It doesn't happen by technology. Technology supports that. But it's the methodology, management's belief in that, breaking down those silos, it's always top down, to get that culture of people working together. And for us, we put the customer at the heart of everything we do. And that sort of is the wake-up call. Because at the end of the day, the person who can fire us is the customer. Absolutely. If they don't want our products... 
They don't like it, right? So that's the wake-up call to any meeting or anything. When the customer's at the center of, whether it's an internal customer, and obviously it all leads to the external one, and you can't be terrible at internal customers and then believe you can be good with an external customer because that DNA has got to be throughout. And so when that is always the adult in the room when you say, yeah, but how is this going to work for the customer? And then that changes the conversation every time. And so then to get the collaboration across the different groups, that seems to be the unifier to me. I was just thinking while you were giving that answer, of, I'm try, I was trying to think of an existing, a legacy company that actually created disruptive change itself, and I can't think of one. I can't even think of one. I can think of a lot of um, industries that have been disrupted by somebody totally outside the industry, but very few um, well, none that I can think of have been disrupted inside the industry. So does, is, is that because the legacy companies have developed silos, have developed this company culture of that's how we do it? I'm, I'm thinking about, say, um, uh, a friend of mine, Jeff Hazlett, um, was at um, Kodak, and he tried to convince Kodak that they weren't in the film business and uh, they were in the memories business and they wouldn't have it. And they stuck to film rigidly, no matter what, by hook or by crook. And <laughs> who wants film? So, yeah, what is it about the new companies and their and their attitude? Is it is it a different attitude because of the generational change, or is it a different attitude simply because they're they're looking at something differently? Well, I'll tell you something interesting. Um, Smart that is still a work in progress and we still have our challenges as those that will follow our stock price and um, the way in which current trading is. We are actually trying to do that ourselves. So having created the Smart Board, which is a projector-based solution with um, a, a board made out of steel with camera technology in it. We're trying to disrupt ourselves. And on, and on the education side, we're doing it by leading in um, interactive flat panels, which is like a TV with, yes. with touchscreen. And yep. so we're trying to replace that technology with a new one. And where, in fact, we just launched the world's first education-designed interactive flat panel. And we have a range of those um, coming out. We also then created software which glues together all devices regardless of operating system for the classroom. So if you've got children with an iPad or whether you've got a Microsoft-based laptop or whether you've got um, an Android or a Chromebook or whatever, it glues all those things together. It doesn't even need a smart board. And so it, it, it works in allowing children to collaborate in real time anywhere in the world not just in, within the classroom they can collaborate within each other in their homes and they can share uh, data and information and so we just launched that a few months ago the the third area of disruption is the meeting room um, and so we created a product the hardware to work with Microsoft's new link software which doesn't need pin codes it doesn't need all that messing around to get the right version of PowerPoint into the hands of people sure. so they've got this incredible software so we invented this hardware created this hardware which is so simple to install it takes you know days off installation down to just a few hours to put one of these systems in um, you know a much much lower cost and lastly smart cat 
So actually what we've been trying to do is to take what used to be 90% of our revenues was the interactive whiteboard. Yes. And we're trying to disrupt ourselves with the new IFPs as well as create these new revenue streams. And if you, you could argue CAP is a massive disruptor to our existing uh, technologies and business. So yeah. we'll, we'll let you know how we get on on that one <laughs> and if we manage to, to do this. Um, but but I, I agree that sometimes it takes people outside. And you do see companies start up incubators mm. to create new technologies. But, you know, sometimes it's very difficult for companies to move because they've got shareholders and public markets where they've got to still hit their numbers. Yes. Um, but at the same time, they've got to try and invent the thing that's going to kill them. And that can be just too hard for uh, the ambidextrous type of a management to be able to do that. And of course, great companies seem to be able to predict what's coming next, so they never get into the position where they're so hemmed in a corner that they can't get out of it. Mm. And so, because they're already thinking ahead, and of course, Apple is a great example of that, um, as are other companies, who just seem to be able to continue to invent the right things. Um, so that when the old bit of technology they've got dies, it doesn't really matter because they've got so much other things happening. Um, and then, of course, you've got the complete disruptors who come in and um, change an industry in its entirety. Yeah, well, um, but, I, yeah. I would argue, of course, that that Apple is exactly that. I mean, <laughs> they've destroyed so many industries. And I think with um, with Apple Pay, they're, they're going to totally destroy the banking industry. I think the bank, as from last Tuesday, the banking industry as we know it <laughs> has some serious problems. Yeah, well, it, it, they they have that ability, and um, and interestingly, products that you know were good or whatever. Um, then become part of sell by date or just aren't relevant but they've got so many other new things coming it doesn't matter I think companies when they get exposed like Kodak like Polaroid like others like that it became exposed um, because they hadn't managed to make the move and you know candidly that's the job I'm trying to do here at Smart is where 90% of our revenues came out of one product category. We're trying to create new ones to replace that, which is not an easy task. Yeah. Let's go back to SmartCap for a second. Um, I've got a company, and now I, I get SmartCap or the, the, um, the advanced version of that, which is, what, a couple of thousand dollars, the advanced version? Uh, no, it won't be as high as that. Won't but, be anywhere, anywhere near as high as that. Okay, but let's say fifteen hundred bucks. Where does that save me money? So I put in smart. Um, where does it save me money? You know, the, the, the it comes down to collaboration. Um, if you believe collaboration saves you time and money, but most importantly improves quality of decision making and quality of debate, which. Um, Every single study and measure shows it has a dramatic effect right. um, on the capability in organizations. CAP is one piece of that puzzle. Um, so if now when people dial in, they feel that they're part of the meeting because they can see what the two or three people are debating and writing up around the screen, uh, sorry, writing on the board, that they now feel part of that meeting. More likely to be productive. More, yeah. 
they're likely to. And I think, you know, yeah, great that you keep the notes afterwards. That's obviously very helpful. Yes. Sharing that with other staff, super helpful. Yes. Um, and uh, very quick to disseminate information. It's, you know, in today's world, it gets faster and faster and faster. The quicker True. you get information out to your people, that saves you a lot of time. Yes. Um, you know, we, we have studies on our smart board, so just to move away from CAP for one second, where um, a construction company, they put in our smart boards with our Meeting Pro software, and their payback was in three weeks. Right. And wow. that was about, you know, $50,000 of investment. Wow. And a, uh, an architect's firm, so that they can be on site with their tablets using our software with the boards back in, um, back in base, where they're seeing problems and where they've got to make changes, where again they stay, see spent tens of thousands of dollars, um, they got their payback within seven days. And that isn't a smart piece of BS. Yeah. That's from Stanford University who right. carried out t- tests and, and looked at it to see what that is. So this ability to collaborate, to get better decision-making, faster decision-making, is the next wave of efficiency that's coming to industry. And lots of CEOs I know, they're driving for this because they know this is the next big thing to crack. So Smart is making the tools that will enable better collaboration, faster decision-making, assuming the big issue is has the CEO and the management adopted collaboration as the way by which to improve efficiency? We can't change the way people behave. We can only provide the tools that promote that type of behavior. Great way to finish the interview, Neil. Thank you very much for joining me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. I really appreciate it. Now, if you'd like to find out more about smart technologies, go to smarttech.com. That's smarttech.com. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show right after this break. The American Institute of Sales, Marketing, and Management is one of the leading accreditation institutes in the world. Do you have the letters AISMM after your name? Do you have the AISMM accreditation certificate on your wall for your clients and colleagues to envy? Do you have the AISMM membership pin on your lapel? AISMM helps you do business. Join the American Institute of Sales, Marketing, and Management now. Go to AISMM.org. That's AISMM.org. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit zone radio show on the Voice America Business Network. You know, 90% of the work that I do, apart from on this radio program, and with my speech presentations, is working with entrepreneurs and early-stage companies, not only here in the United States, but in Australia and in England and all over the place. I'm off to Brazil for a startup company in a couple of weeks. And so you know, we, we care about entrepreneurs. We are here to help entrepreneurs. So if, if you've got a great entrepreneur story or you've got 
um, you've had to face a lot of challenges and you've been successful or you know a story about an entrepreneur that's been a huge success or maybe you just would like to be interviewed on the on the show because you've got something really great to say, then send me an email, bob at bobpritchard.com and um, we would love to talk about it on air or get you on air and have a chat to you. But it's got to be interesting. Don't send me stuff that's just crap because I get enough of that. <clears throat> now, we really do appreciate, though, all the emails that you send us each week and great ideas. I mean, some of the ideas that come through here are fantastic and we do our best to answer them and we do our best to give help. So um, just persevere with us. If you don't hear, just stick with us, baby, because we'll get to you. Don't forget to um, get online and subscribe to my newsletter. 16,000 of them go out a month, so it'll go out in about a week. So make sure you're um, on the list. My first email today is from James Aston from Pennsylvania who says, I really enjoy your show. It's a big help to small businesses to learn from people who have enjoyed success. Since the Amazon 60 Minutes story last year about Amazon and its drones, I've heard very little about them. Was that just one big publicity stunt? James, I hate to tell you, commercial drones are coming to a suburb near you very soon. They're becoming a reality and with a huge impact in many, many industries. You know, not too long ago when people thought of drones, they thought of the military aircraft that flew over Syria and fired missiles. But um, nope. They're, uh, you know, when Jeff Bezos on that famous 60 Minutes uh, announced that um, Amazon was testing the idea of delivering packages via drones. He made drones with um, popular commercial applications suddenly seem like a viable op- that proposition, and it is. And they're not the only people testing drones. I mean, I, I, there's at least a dozen major companies that have been testing drones for years, and uh, they're going to become part of our daily lives in the not-too-distant future. And they'll be taking on bigger and bigger roles um, from delivering groceries to revolutionising private security to changing the way farmers manage their crops, aerial advertising. It's predicted, this will probably surprise you, but it's predicted that $12 billion will be spent on drones in the next decade for commercial purposes. There'll be $100 billion spent altogether, but $12 billion spent on drones for commercial purposes in the next 10 years. Woo! Now, um, American regulators plan to phase in drone flights beginning in 2015, uh, starting with drones less than 55 pounds, but retail and e-commerce, along with all the related logistics and shipping industries, They've got the most at stake in the worldwide deployment of drones because they're going to take trucks off the road. They're going to put a lot of lot of businesses, companies out of business. And there are very few industries that can't be impacted by drones when you think about it, especially on the enterprise side. So drones are going to ramp up considerably in the next 10 years. So great question, James. We'll send you out a copy of my new book. 
Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, How to Blitz Your Competition, which is available at bookstores and at Amazon. Maybe you can get it delivered to your house by drone. How cool would that be? So thank you for listening again to the Bob Pritchard No Bullshit Business Radio Show for Entrepreneurs. And remember, if you're serious about being successful, this is the place to come every week at exactly the same time. I'm Bob Pritchard on the Voice America Business Network, and I hope you have a fantastic week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.